Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and once again I will start with an apology because I am still in the thralls of whatever the first cold of this season is. I'm surrounded by a snowfall of super packets, so if my voice is a bit gravelly, if I'm a bit nasally, if some coughs coming in here and there, I can only apologise in advance for that, for um, startling those ears with a random cough, but I'll try and keep it to a minimum. Also joining me today is Mr Joe Bray. Joe, I hope you're feeling better than I am. Yeah, well, I thought I had a cold, but I don't sound as bad as you, so I'll uh, I'll count my blessings. I know, it's bad, and it's like Sean Dyche after a bloody three-day bender, but <laughs> we carry on regardless. And we've, you know, this podcast the last few weeks has kind of become a bit of um, just a waxing lyrical session about City and how good they've been. So it makes a bit of a change of pace to talk about something um, a bit below the par, a bit interesting in that regard, even if the match was... Um, a goalless one. It was certainly quite an interesting one with a fair few talking points and a fiercely contested one at that. City back in Champions League action on Tuesday and they drew nil-nil with FC Copenhagen over in Denmark. Now, it wasn't all bad because they did qualify regardless as Borussia Dortmund drew with Sevilla, but it's certainly a match that didn't go to plan, Joe. We'll kind of um, delve into all the controversial talking points um, as we get to them, because we need to fill this, uh, fill this podcast, we need to get this minute quarter in somehow. And thankfully, we have lots to talk about there, thanks to um, our good mate, the referee, who you know, likes like to watch his telly, that's for sure. But before we kind of delve into all that, and I know you've got you've got a rant planned about VAR, but um, how do you see kind of doing testing circumstances over in uh, over in Denmark? Yeah, let's start with the positives. Um, it was job done, wasn't it? They they had to go there. Um, get themselves qualified. A win would have done it. Turns out a draw, thanks to the later result, did it instead. But uh, yeah, the, the fact that they had to play an hour with 10 men, they couldn't rotate as much as they wanted to, probably put a bit of a, of a spanner in the works of what Guardiola would have wanted from, from the trip. But if you're going to not win, it's better to not lose. And, and that's what they did. For uh, It was sort of a, a measured second half performance. It looked like the decision was, let's get a draw. Let's leave qualification up to either later in the evening or the next trip to uh, to Dortmund. Let's not get any more injuries. Um, he still managed to rest those players that he left on the bench for the majority of the, of the second half. Um, so it, it seemed like it was a little bit damage limitation, but also... They did get the job done, so uh, I, th- I think in the circumstances, a draw was a very, very good point. Um, but if, as I say, Guardiola was going to plan resting a few players, then bringing a few of the ones who started off on the hour mark, hoping the game was won early on, he didn't get that at all, and it was a bit of a test for for the players who did play, and maybe complicates things for for the visit to Liverpool on Sunday. But if you go to Copenhagen get qualified after four games, you can't have too many complaints, I don't think. No, absolutely. It was it was quite a cold atmosphere. You know, Ty was over in Copenhagen and he said that the atmosphere was amazing. Even watching it on the telly, you could really get the sense of how kind of boisterous and loud that crowd was. So not exactly an easy atmosphere to go. A big kind of daunting stadium, like 40,000, I'd like to say, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Like really steep stands. It's not. It wasn't an easy trip by any means. And I know City kind of smashed them at the Etihad, but Copenhagen have showed throughout the campaign that they're not a bad football inside. I thought they actually did all right as bats against um, <clears throat> um in the re- in the reverse fixture. And they played really well. We're unlucky not to get a result. But likewise, City themselves still could have won despite kind of being down to 10 men. The keeper, once again, I think Guevara, I believe his name is, again, had a really good game. So I should say, not, um, not a disaster. And it seems like City made the best out of trying kind of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's rare that City get tested in that way. So it could be good in the long run. And especially if we look at the fixtures from the start of the season to before the World Cup, the only real test they're going to get in the league is the Man United game, which they scored six goals in, and the Liverpool game on on Sunday. So to get this sort of uh, a game where a lot of things go against you might not be a bad thing in, in the long run. It's just maybe a little bit annoying that it's come directly before the trip. Um, to Liverpool and, and like you say the, the atmosphere there the, the Copenhagen fans at the Etihad I thought were brilliant they, they made a lot of noise even though they were 5-0 down and um, yeah they, I think Tyrone said that they were there two hours before kickoff, just in the stands starting to make noise and 
it, it was that kind of atmosphere that you don't often get in the Premier League. You get, you get good atmospheres in the Premier League, but not sort of whole stands bouncing for, for 90 minutes. And and I think that was part of the reason why it was so tough. The, the fact that City had a goal disallowed, then missed a penalty, then had a red card, that's only going to give the home crowd a boost after boost after boost and make it uh, even more of a, of a difficult atmosphere. I think the Copenhagen, was it the manager, he said after the game, he said even with 11 men, we'd have got a point, which I'm, I'm not sure is... Is the flex he thinks it is, but um, yeah, I, th- I think they had a point to prove. When we spoke to the captain after the home game, he was saying we have learnt a lot from from the loss at the Etihad, and, and we're going to be better, and we know a bit more how to how to defend against them. And it obviously helps if you've got an hour against ten men, and City weren't very adventurous in that hour because they were probably conserving energy and trying not to lose the game. But yeah, I, th- I think Copenhagen do deserve credit for in in the space of six days going from. Being soundly beaten five nil to to holding to holding City to to a draw. Absolutely. So let's kind of move away from the football there and get onto the topic everyone wants to discuss, and that is, of course, the nonsensical at this stage handball rule. The first of three, uh, I'd say, two controversies. I don't know what your opinion is on mm-hmm. the red card, but I don't think that one, to be fair, was that controversial. We will get to it um, in all in good time, but the. Let's say the first two controversies um, of the match began when City actually took the lead and an amazing goal at that. A mm-hmm. Rodri rocket into the top corner. He can he can whip them out every now and then. An absolutely stunning strike, but he was then disallowed for handball on Riyad Mahrez. Um, the ball did flick off his hand uh, before it reached to Rodri, but as I'm sure you'll discuss, um, it only did so because a Copenhagen defender had kind of pushed Hal, um, pushed Mahrez into the ball. So yeah, we'll get onto that. And then um, a few <laughs> a few minutes after that, City on the 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 receiving end of um, a weird handball decision, kind of a similar situation. Um, the ball kind of touches the Copenhagen defender's hand. Or, I don't even think you think it was his hand; it was more of his bicep. It looked like to me, mm-hmm. maybe a bit more understandable this time around. But certainly, I think a very soft penalty. Clearly, didn't move his arm in any way towards the ball for my money. And then City had the penalty, but Riyad Mahrez, um, it was saved really well by Copenhagen's keeper. So, Joe, you've promised me a rant on VAR. Mm-hmm. You know, Pep Guardiola doesn't understand the handball rule now. Neither do I. Uh, do you? I thought I did. And then I, I saw the referee who was confusingly named Diaz. So, every time I was writing about Diaz, I was writing... Uh, having to clarify that it was the referee and not not the City defender. But, um, yeah, it... It's a high ball. It comes down. Mahrez is, is sandwiched between two defenders, pushing and jostling for the ball. He does have his arm out. It does flick him, but he gains absolutely no, absolutely no advantage. He doesn't move his arm towards the ball. It then goes to Julian Alvarez. It, then he lays it off to Rodri for the strike. There's no advantage gained there. I don't think anyone can see that. And UEFA changed the rules last season so that an accidental handball in the build-up by a teammate is not an offence. So surely the goal should have stood. And then, so, you know, Rodri goes off celebrating. They're ready to take the kickoff and he gets a, a word in his ear. Then he spends two minutes at the screen. And that's one of my bugbears in football about VAR. I, I don't mind VAR, I like it. But if you've got to go and spend two minutes looking at a screen and looking at 20, 30 replays, it's not a clear error. It's That's not what VAR was for. It's... It was a. I just think it was a bad decision. Maybe technically it touched him on the hand, but the fact that the rules were changed to to get rid of these kind of decisions um, has really gone against City. And I, I think Rodri said after the game he had no idea what was happening. And I, someone said that Rodri was behind the referee saying it's not intentional, which I don't think anyone can argue it is intentional. So that was the first of, yeah, as you say, two bad decisions. The second one came for the penalty. But once he set that precedent, he's got to then give the penalty. But I think it's, I, I can't remember the name of the defender, but whoever it is, I think he's got him and Akanji have got their arms locked together, trying to push each other out of the way. He physically can't move his arm. As you say, he's not moving the arm towards the ball. It, again, it might even strike him above the sort of T-shirt line that we've heard is apparently the the, the rule as well. It's, it's just, he had to give it because he gave the first one. But again, it's, it's, but you'd be you'd feel very hard done by if you were 
a Copenhagen player or a fan to to see that go against you. And I suppose you could say, oh yeah, well, both the City have benefited from one and, and not the other and two wrongs might make a right in this case. But because Riyad Mahrez missed it, City were by far worse off because of the two incorrect decisions. If it had gone, if he'd just made both decisions right and not penalised either handball, City would be 1-0 ahead and they'd have silenced the crowd. Instead, the crowd had buoyed by one goal disallowed, buoyed by a penalty miss, and it's that's made the game harder. And then I, I don't know what was going through Sergio Gomez's mind, as you say. I don't think that one was that was controversial at all. It was another one, though, where the referee got it wrong. Initially, he said play on. And I have to say, watching it on telly, I thought the attackers bought this here. I don't think that is a penalty. But as soon as you see one replay, he's got his arms around him. He pulls him back. It's it's a very clear-cut red card. But again, he needs a few replays to see it. I, I just don't think the referee was had a very good game at all and it impacted uh, sort of negatively on, on City. But that's not to say he got the decision wrong in the end for the red card because, yeah, that was a bit foolish by by Gomez and he, he put his teammates in, in a bit of trouble for the next hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, I don't even know. The thing is, I don't even know if the referee was wrong in his decision-making because I don't know what the rules mm-hmm. are now. He might. It, it seems obviously just counterintuitive to us and to everyone watching football, to all the players on that pitch. I'm sure even the Copenhagen players, I don't think any of them protested the goal when it went in. I don't believe they didn't know what was happening. No fans were calling for handball or anything like mm-hmm. that. So literally everyone involved. And even the, ref- the referee was there. He saw it, I presume. He didn't see any reason to dislike the goal. It's only because, you know, the BDI's looking down. <laughs> That's the only reason it got disallowed. And as you say, like, you know, instead of having two wrongs to make a right, just be right. But I'm not sure if he actually was wrong in his actual decision by the law of the game because we just don't know what the law is now. It's so kind of... Um, Oh, what's the word? I can't remember the word, but it's weird and stupid, and it's changed so much. I've I've just got an article up it here, which I thought I wrote, but it turns out you wrote. Um, back in 2019, after City and Spurs' massive mad Champions League um uh, quarterfinal match, when Lorente's goal, if you recall, had a handball in that build up, and that counted because it was an accidental handball, and that wasn't ruled out at the time. But the season after that, it would have been ruled out. Because the mm-hmm. law changed for hand, for um, for um, accidental handballs, and he, that was the goal scorer, though, wasn't it? So is that it? So what? what so if it's so, I think not... if, if you're the goal scorer and you you handle it accidental or not, intentional or not, the goal is disallowed. Which I, I can understand. It, it kind of needs that sort of black and white decision making. But in the build up, they've now changed it. So if you accidentally handball it, it's not an offence. So in this case two or three touches before it finds Rodri, there was an accidental handball where he's getting no advantage and it's, it's being penalised. So I, I think under that rule, it's wrong. I think the referee was wrong to do it. But yeah. then we were watching BT Sport and they pointed out the rule about deliberate or not deliberate handball and that's the rule that they were looking at. So I, I don't know whether there are competing rules against each other, but surely that it's it seems fairly clear on the UEFA website that if it's accidental in the build-up to a teammate's goal, it shouldn't be penalised. And in Copenhagen, it wasn't. It it genuinely has changed sort of the course of the game. Because if City go one nil up, they probably go two and three up, don't they? And and qualify with ease and, and can rest and rotate a lot of players. But as it happens, that the opposite happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so strange. It seems to have yo-yoed and changed so often. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to guess it's even different different leagues have different leniency towards yeah. it and stuff like that. And what is the solution? Because I just don't know, like, it's VAR, man. Like, we all <laughs> called for it and, you know, we all pretty much willed it into existence by repeatedly moaning about refereeing decisions for all our lives, you know. I don't believe anyone listening to this or I'm certainly not, has never been guilty about criticising a referee, even living playing Sunday League level. I've certainly <laughs> had my fair share of um, shouting at referees foolishly and... Uh, but it seems like you know, we can't. It got willed into existence VAR. We thought it'd be one thing, and we're, we're not happy with how it's turned out because it, it feels like too authoritarian. It feels too like um, it's like on FIFA when you're literally half a centimetre offside, and the robot is like, "Nope, you're offside." And it's like, "Come on, how do you even see that? That's not real." And then now it's happening in real life where that you know the the 
the horrible lines get drawn onto the screen and it takes seven minutes for a referee to get his little um, stylus out and his ruler mm-hmm. and his protractor and work it out and get the depth perception right in the angle. And it's just, it just, it's kind of the off, you know, the big brother watching over the match and it's just taking that wildness out of it, that fun, that controversy. I think that we didn't really, it's caused like a different controversy. It's caused a controversy where it's like not fun. You, it's not like, I suppose fans keep like, oh, VIR saved us there, belting. But it's not like back in the day when, oh, we got away with one there. Well, that goal should not have stood. He was offside mm-hmm. there. Oh, he unbobbed that. He dived there. You know, I remember, you know, the Bolton fan, I remember like three games in a row back in our Premier League days when Mark Davis, for about three games in a row, all against Midlands teams, like dive to win penalties. And it's like <laughs> awesome. It never feels, you know, everyone loves them. Um, an S house, and you just—I feel like that kind of magic that we didn't realise we loved so much has kind of been taken away, and it's getting gradually stripped further and further. It just feels like you don't get the um, the cheekiness anymore. The uh, the, the, the S housing, as I say, it's um, I don't know, something's lost that we didn't really notice that we liked so much. I'm guessing. Yeah, and there's always going to be human error. It's not eliminated human error. It's just changed where that human error is coming from. Um, and it's also taken responsibility away from the referees. As you say, in Copenhagen, no one appealed for that that first-hand ball. I don't think anyone appealed for the penalty. And yet, you know, two big decisions have, have been given. Surely the game can just go on and yeah, and, and give a bit more power back to the referees on the field. Um, I think it was used correctly for the Gomez red card. The referee's not seen the arm go across the, the body of the attacker, so he's not given it, and then VAR's come and, and given the right decision in the end. So I think there is definitely a place for it, but it's it's times like that where it's just too picky for for things that aren't influencing the, the game that much that turn that suddenly are massive turning points in in matches. I, I don't know whether there could be I'm, I'm I'm not the first person to say this, but like like in cricket where you have an appeal system where if if you think you've been wronged, the Copenhagen manager would say, okay, we think that's a red card. Let's use one of our appeals. If if that situation was in place, I don't think I, any appeals would have been used for the disallowed goal or, or the penalty. So um yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I, th- I think when you rely on it too much, you have referees and linesmen uh, and sort of assistant referees not giving decisions when they should be doing it and just trusting themselves. Um, and I, yeah, I, I like to defend VAR and I like to defend referees because I think it is a good thing for the game. But then you see you see decisions like that and you think, oh, come on, it's it might have hit him on my hand, but it's not impacted the game in any any way. Yet the decision of a couple of referees in a in a room watching the telly have have decided that 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 is going to drastically change the game. Yeah, it's straight. I was going to ask you, like, how, how what's the best way to kind of fix it? You know, it's a mm-hmm. tired conversation that's been had many times. They like say we've seen the duality of it. For Matt, I'm, I'm glad we're in agreement because I, I was expecting to see the Gomez red card after seeing um, the other kind of controversial decisions and expecting it to be another one. But it, for me, it wasn't. It was not in the box, so not double jeopardy. He's pretty much clean through. I don't think this can be. He's, he has put an arm across him. He might have gone down a bit easy, but I think it's foolish for him to do and it's a learning mm-hmm. curve for him he's only a young lad and I, I think yeah fair enough I don't really have many arguments with that and as you say missed it at first didn't see the deliberate hand movement it wasn't just a kind of coming together there was clearly um, a bit of um, deliberation in Gomez's move just third red card for me so no I say no complaints there but as you say how it I don't think that one right call justifies all the wrong ones we get and how it just eats away and becomes so tedious, you know, dissolves the game into tedium and whatnot. And I, sh- I don't know how to fix it because, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I always thought the the appeal system would be good, but then how do you kind of manage that? Like, are the managers who are on the sideline and have screens and iPads, are they the ones appealing? Mm-hmm. You could see it anyway and no. And so you never get a false appeal. And, you know, if Copenhagen did appeal St. Rodri's goal, would it have still been anyway and, and then you'd have endless appeals for just trying your luck if you exactly. can see the goal in the last minute yeah you just cut you just appeal you'd... anyway and yeah, yeah does just, the captain, there's no easy solution 
does the captain have to appeal? Maybe. You, but what if he doesn't see it? Oh, you know, he has to talk to his teammates, like like they do in cricket. Yeah. They don't get replays. They see it. They talk. They discuss. Maybe that's the fairest way. But what if you know? What if it's a, a handball? You know, you maybe just do it. You lose it, and you know it's a weird one. And maybe do they just do it where the referees just go? They don't have a guy, you know, who's talking to the referee in the VAR station saying to him you have to look at this. The v, the referee itself who maybe gets protests off players, talks to their assistants, goes, right, okay, I looks like I might have got that wrong. You know, maybe they miss violent conduct or something. Everyone misses it and you can tell something's gone on here. Like, I'll go and check this one out because I've you know, clearly missed a, a bust up or something along those lines. Let me go and check that out. You, I think you can tell sometimes the way players protest certain things when there's clearly been a miscarriage of justice to... The difference where they're just kind of chancing their arm, trying to get a, an advantage. I think you could tell sometimes with like body language and the sheer, sheer anger of like when mm-hmm. there has been an actual handball and it's clearly they, they've they've done it purposely, compared to it's an accident. You know, maybe people try and gain that, but I think maybe a good way to do it would be that there is no talking to someone else upstairs. The person operating it just shows the right clip at the right time for the referee. If, a, if there's a big enough protest, the referees and the assistants between them decide they then the referee, it's him, him or herself, goes over and checks the screen, makes the decision, no other input. Maybe that's a way around it, but there's, you know, how, how many seasons are we into VAR now? Two, three, maybe four? God knows. It's just, it's just not, it's just not getting any better. And as you say, the thing that was meant to kind of stop controversies continues to make them, but they're not fun controversies I don't think they're just boring. I think one one easy way to make VAR just better is to just put a 30 second time limit on a referee's review because if you can't tell after 30 seconds if if some if you've got a decision wrong just go with it it places more trust back in the referees you accept that a decision isn't clear cut so you can't give it um, a bit again going back to cricket a bit like umpire's call it's just yeah, it, it annoys me so much when you see a referee go over and you know what the decision is, mm-hmm. and but you've mm-hmm. wasted a minute of the game. And it's, yeah. you know, you it's like the referees are looking for evidence to overturn the decision rather than stick with the decision that they've made. And I, I, I don't like that at all. I think it, if, if they had a, a time limit or a limit on, on replays and then they've got to make the decision, I think you'd have more referees sticking with the decision they've made, less overturning and less disruption to the game. But... Uh, as you say, it's not getting rid of controversy. It's just moving the controversy from one one area to another. Mm. And we, we, we're football fans. We we write about football. We we like controversy and the controversy. We, we we've just spent what twenty minutes talking about it. So we're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's it's part of football to complain about stuff, isn't it? But mm. you want the right decisions to be made at the end of at the end of the game and. I think if you're looking at the three big decisions the other night, two of them probably weren't weren't the right decision. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the way this, the replays are shown to referees mm. could change as well. I, I'm not sure. Maybe they have to just go off eye for like for offsides. You don't have the lines drawn on anymore. You don't have because I don't think anyone, even if it is marginal, and I know, but then you've got to say it's a black and white decision. <laughs> you're either on or not. Yeah, but the I think offsides have they... got better this season. There's, there's less. Crazy it one. does seem it, but aren't they not showing them on screen anymore? Like from the official I'm VAR? Not sure. I think they've they've uh, changed how much mm. leeway they give. So it's well, that's it, good. You, you can but, accept them a bit more now. Mm, but it's definitely like if it. I, I think if it's and again, let's say it's a black and white decision we've run off. But sometimes, especially when the cameras aren't at the right perspective to see, mm. you know, the, um, if a players on the if the two players are on the opposite side of the pitch and they're basically in line, and the camera's not dead in line with it, it's quite hard to actually tell where who is where. And if you can't tell, I don't think, from you know a couple of replays and from your own advantage without having lines drawn on, if it's not that clear cut from a couple of replays, and then maybe, you know, just leave it. You know, you play it by your eye instead of having these weird squibbly lines on it and whatnot. And then the case of slowing down and stuff as well, sometimes... Um, tackles can look a lot different out of context when they're slowed down and uh, are sped up even and it, it can sometimes look worse or even better than it actually is so maybe another argument could be you only get to see replays in real time I don't, I don't know what you reckon towards them yeah potentially I, th- I think the way that referees are shown 
show, showing the decisions and how long they're given is probably an area that can improve it quite easily um, rather than changing the scope of what they can and can't uh, change when when VAR are looking at things. Um, that that's as I say, it's just I, I can't remember a time when a referee's gone to a decision, gone to the screen and kept like stayed with the decision that he's made, um, which defeats the purpose of it for me. But um, yeah, I think you're right about what they're showing. I think the other day when he went for the went to look at the penalty, when he went up to the screen, it was frozen on an image of the ball on the defender's hand. So of course he's going to give handball, but that takes away all of the context of the defender and the attacker jostling for position, the, the hands are locked together. It's not really gained any advantage, that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there, there is room for, for changing that process of going to the monitor, what they see, how long they get and uh, what they're allowed to, to change and what they're not. Yeah, that's a great point. Still images really, you know, you miss so much of the context. And I think we're seeing it loads yeah. when so many like horrible tackle or supposedly horrible tackles look so much worse when you see a still image of the stud in someone's going towards someone's shin and the player screaming in pain. Yeah, and you look at it in the full, you know, the full actual action of it, and it doesn't look quite as bad as a single still image can depict. So I think that's a really, really good point. And I did have another one. Oh, and that's it. I, I, I kind of want to make clear, I'm not like, just digging out referees and, you know, God knows there's enough criticism of referees from people. And I'm not claiming to know all the, the rules of the game off by that. So I don't really want to go out and say, you know, absolutely slag off referees to high heaven because, you know, God knows there's enough people doing that who also don't know the rules. But I'm more, my ire my is more aimed at the people who make the laws so... Um, what is that word? Contrusive? Is that the word? Something like that. Whoever, you know, <laughs> make these what these laws so confusing, so opaque, change it all the time for no apparent reason, leave everyone confused and make VAR such a, such a head scratcher to get around. That that's where my true eye goes to. But yeah, but you know, we, we've 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 got our we've got our quota of minutes up there, so we can finally <laughs> move on from that controversy. Got that you out know, of our system. Exactly, exactly. You know, um, there wasn't really much else from the game to really talk about. City held on quite valiantly, I thought, as you say, controlled the game well, um, conserved the ball, did did well under kind of difficult circumstances. I think the only other kind of talking point from the match, um, Joe, is that Haaland didn't play and City didn't score. No, obviously, I'm not going to say City. You know, City scored far enough goals last year without him, and well, no doubt, would may well have scored. Well, did score if it wasn't for the um, the VAR. Um, you know, may well have scored if they kept to eleven men. But it is quite interesting that the first game that Haaland doesn't start this season, and they don't score a goal. Is there any is there any concern there, or is it just you know it it kind of ignores the whole context of the rest of the match? Yeah, well, that's it. It's if if it was eleven versus eleven. In the whole game, I think probably they would have scored. They obviously got a goal through Rodri. Julian Alvarez had a chance, maybe two, before um, the red card. They had a penalty that they missed. And then after that, the tactics completely changed. They took Mares off, who did so well in the last two games to to get two goals in, his, in two starts, got a third start in a row. And then, not his fault, but he got a goal disallowed, missed a penalty, and he was hooked as soon as uh, Gomez was sent off for the reshuffle. So I think he might have gone backwards in, in Guardiola's plans as a result of that. Um, but him going off meant that it was sort of Grealish and Alvarez up front. And Grealish is good at slowing the game down and bringing others into play. But the way that he plays in this City setup is not necessarily to run at, at players. Um, and Alvarez had a thankless task of just running and, and closing down and, and wasn't given any ammunition to try and to try and score goals. But the tactic wasn't really to do that. It was just sort of to get a draw if you can get a win and, and come out unscathed. And, and I think fitness was the priority, especially as the second half wore on. So I don't think we can look at the goals, the, the lack of goals too much, because I think the the aims of the game changed as as it went on and especially with with Liverpool coming up, but Guardiola said before the game, there's a lot of tiredness in the players who didn't start. He said afterwards that Haaland, because he played the whole game against Southampton, the last the couple of days after that, he wasn't great fitness-wise. And the fact that Haaland stayed on the bench, he did go out to warm up, but basically just stood there from the looks of things. I don't think he did a proper warm up. So it didn't look like 
he was ever going to come on. That it didn't look like that was the plan. Um, so it looked as though he was getting saved for Saturday, and this was a game where you could afford not to play him. And it was just the way that the game went that Alvarez couldn't take his chance. But I think going into the game, Alvarez was averaging a goal every mm. 92, 93 minutes. Mm. So you would have backed him to at least get a couple of chances if the team was set up with 11 men to attack and, and create chances. Um, but now that they have had this game where Haaland hasn't played and they haven't scored, I think the chances that players like Alvarez will get on his own without Haaland will be sort of minimal because while there are a lot, lot of mitigating factors, I think you will find Guardiola maybe relying on Haaland a bit more, even if it's just as he did the other night and just playing for 45 minutes because when Haaland's on the pitch, he does guarantee a goal. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. One. I, I don't, you know, one time isn't, you know, it's nothing. Is a is an occurrence. Two times yeah. is like a coincidence. Three times is a pattern. If it gets to three City games mm-hmm. in which Haaland doesn't play and City don't score, then I think right, there's actual kind of cause for concern there. But until then, it's not too bad. But you know, you mentioned there Guardiola, um, bit certainly a bit concerned about the state of his squad already. Obviously, we've got Stones, Phillips, and Walker all still out. Um, Laporte went off later on in the match, or after the game, sorry, looking quite tired. He's obviously only just come back from injury and still getting to grips with um, the swing of things. Haaland not playing, tiredness. I think, was it Bernardo, I think he said? A bit of a, bit of a knock or something as well. Is it a bit worrying that so, so many... Fatigue, I, wasn't about, I, know, I know it's been an absolutely hectic couple of years now in the sport, but is it a bit strange that they're all... Um, Getting so 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 fatigued so quickly. We are only in October. There has only been nine Premier League games so far. Yeah, I was supposed to be playing quite a lot of football, and they've had all the international fixtures as well in that break. Guardiola keeps saying, doesn't he, that City don't have a big squad, and they've had to rely on quite a lot of the same players, especially with the injuries in defence. Laporte did look quite tired when he went off. I, d- I doubt it was a plan to bring. Uh, Nathan Ake on and it probably wasn't the plan to bring Ruben Diaz on either but he had to come on for the uh, after the red card to, to reshuffle the defence um, I, I would say that I think Guardiola was trying to rest as many players as he could for Liverpool all going to plan he probably would have uh, taken off De Bruyne, Rodri, Cancelo probably in the second half um, to give them a fee, uh, some some uh, some minutes with the feet up on the bench. But I, I doubt it will be too unexpected that he's got players sort of struggling and tired. And if you're going to rest them for a game, then a team that you just beat 5-0, knowing that you've got two other opportunities to qualify, um, probably is a good a good time to do it. And City do have an advantage after the Liverpool game where they're not playing um, next week. They were due to play um, Arsenal, I think it was, which would have been a cracking game um, given the form they're in, but with all the postponements and uh, I think they're playing in the Europa League, aren't they? So City actually have a week off where no one else does, so that could actually be a really useful thing for them, especially if there's a few fitness issues. Um, he said John Stones wasn't back in training and he didn't travel to Copenhagen, so maybe that gives him a little bit more time to come back and, and players like Haaland can he can use them at Liverpool, knowing that they've then got a week off to to recover. So that could be quite a useful uh, postponement. That at the time when it was postponed, it probably wasn't useful. But now, given those fitness issues, as you say, it's it could be quite a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, let's let's move on to Sunday. It is the Super Sunday Clash City coming up against Liverpool, and it's not quite. The Liverpool that we've come to expect from City to face in recent years, they've at least at the start of the season, they've had quite a significant drop off, um, quite hampered by injuries early on, but you know, not playing well regardless. Um, lost last time out to Arsenal, 3 2, a really good game, one that they definitely didn't deserve to win, did well to kind of get equalized twice, but I don't think anyone could argue that Arsenal were a better team there. They've actually only won twice so far this season, Liverpool, and have four draws to the name. But they did manage to, you know, draw a bit back to form on Wednesday. They stuck seven past Rangers, um, which was, you know, quite a display, quite a way to build your confidence back up. A, a, what was it, like a five-minute hat-trick from Mohamed Salah? So <laughs> certainly trying to kind of get back into the swing of things himself. Um, but 
certainly, you know, they might not be at the best. I'd, I'm love to say form goes out of the window sort of thing, but City certainly have had the problems with Liverpool. There's well documented. They played each other four, t- oh, sorry, three times last season. City didn't win once. There was two, two, two draws in the Premier League, and then Liverpool knocked City out of the FA Cup in another kind of thrilling three-two game. And then obviously the start it seems so long ago now already. But at the start, back in August, Liverpool, of course, beat City in the Community Shield, which seems mad. To, I, I, I was taken aback when I went through the, the through the fixtures and saw that because the fortunes of both teams since couldn't be different. So it couldn't be more different. And you know, it's it's a big one. Liverpool, I really de- I know City have got their injury problems, but Liverpool are really depleted at the minute. Seven injuries in all. That was added to last out uh, on Wednesday night when Joe Matic went off injured. But they're also missing Luis Diaz. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, which he's not he's not been in the best form, so maybe it's a blessing, but he's certainly an amazing player who they are without. Uh, and then midfield has been absolutely gutted with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita, Curtis Jones and Arta all injured. It, it's a weird one, this. I, I say previous and the way they go out you know, in this Anfield, of course. So previous, would you'd like to you'd expect Liverpool to really give City a good game here. But... Um, but on current form, there can only be one winner, really. If you'd put that question to me 24 hours ago, I'd have said, yes, I agree with you. But I, I do think that 7-1 win will really, really boost Liverpool and give City a warning to be like, OK, they're, they're showing signs that they're back to... Uh, not back to the best, but when you've got Mo Salah scoring a hat-trick like that and the nature of the goals he scored, he was sort of weaving in and out, scoring from a tight angle, as he has done against City with those really good goals. He was sort of picking balls, picking the the, um, bottom corner out from the the edge of the box. And yes, Rangers' defence was absolutely um, shot by that point. But you can't argue with with the character that that Liverpool showed in that game. I actually turned it off at, I think, 3-1 or 4-1. I thought, oh, this game's done. And then suddenly it ends 7-1. But I, I would say that, I think Klopp said after the game, there is a different mood now and he did seem a bit more like the clock we're used to because he's, he's been having a go at reporters and like not answering questions, but having a go at the question instead. And he's been looking a bit grumpy and trying to deflect from what is pretty poor form in the Premier League. Um, so I think just a result like that will just give them a lot of confidence. But he did say, you know, the best team in the world's coming to Anfield on, on Sunday, whether that's mind games or not. He ruled them out the title race, didn't he? And after the Arsenal game, um, so I, I think there'll be a bit of bite to this. I think Liverpool will be quite dangerous with a point to prove and maybe nothing to lose. They would go 16 points behind City, so that is something to lose. But I, I think the it will it's the perfect game for Liverpool, I would say, mm. especially after beating Rangers. They've they've got a real chance to kickstart the season again. If they could beat City, close the gap a, a bit again, get a bit of form um, and try and reduce that gap further before the World Cup, this could be sort of a, a catalyst for them. But on the other hand, that's motivation for City to go go 16 points clear, get a, a win at Anfield, which they very rarely do. It's, it's, it's one since 2003 um, and that, that was behind closed doors and... I don't want to be with that that person who says, "Oh, the Anfield fans are like the twelfth man," but they do make a difference, and and it can't be a coincidence that City haven't won there in front of fans for for so long. So that would be another step that City would take if if they could do that. They are the form side, as much as it didn't really go to plan on Tuesday in in Copenhagen. They have been able to rest players like uh, Phil Foden, Bernardo Silva, Erling Haaland. They've all had, well, not Haaland, um, but Bernardo and Foden have had really good games for City at Anfield and against Liverpool. They seem to really relish those games. So I would still play City as favourites, but I would say that Liverpool are a lot more dangerous after going to Rangers and putting seven past them than they were before. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really with you. I think they do have nothing to lose. I already think 13 points behind. I don't know how many points that equates to being dropped. I know Liverpool made up a big gap 
They have got one game in hand as well, haven't they? But okay. it's still a it's still a long way. It's a big gap, and I, I can't remember exactly how many. I know it was. It might have been around 10, 10 12, 13, Actually, how much they made up last year to kind of close it to yeah. one. You know, City can drop, and not we know one knows how the season is going to play out after the World Cup, and how many people are going to come back injured, and what the state of the whole league is going to be. But it does feel like if Liverpool drop with the way the points totals that have been winning the league. Um, last four or five years, if they drop too many more points, they are going to be out of that kind of contention to get to the 90-plus mark, which has been the mark to win the league with, pretty much. But if they can, you say, if you win here, they close the gap to 10 points rather than it being stretched to 16. Game in hand, like, you can very easily see it being a catalyst. I do think they've not been at the best, but I do think it's mostly been injury related which has then knocked everyone's confidence I do think they should have signed a midfielder in, in the summer um, that wasn't just you know a stopgap in Arthur they should have gone out and got you know maybe obviously Jude Bellingham wasn't attainable but if Declan Rice or someone I feel like that's the sort of position they needed a lot of investment in when you look at the age of all those key players you know they already replaced Mane with Diaz and they brought in Nunes who's blown hot and cold so far it does seem like midfield is the position that needed a bit of attention and it didn't get it. So, you know, Liverpool, after they won the title, had this, they um, they, they slipped away, finished below United, <laughs> lest we forget what a, what a crazy time that was. It's not like they've had, I, it's not like they can't have a slip and come back under Jurgen Klopp. I think they'd be absolutely foolish to get rid of him or anything like that. It just feels like maybe it's a bit more cyclical. Whereas City, I feel like, have been playing amazing football for years. And to get to this 90-point mark, it does feel, if not the average, the, them doing a good job, doing pretty well. Whereas with Liverpool, for getting to that 90-point mark, has been them playing on absolutely all cylinders, going all out every weekend, never faulting. Um, I don't know if it's a bit disparaging to say, to say that, but it, it just feels like it's been Liverpool playing at their absolute optimum, whereas I think City could get even better, I think. I think they could. I think they could get to 100 points again quite easily. They, it just seems like Liverpool are the ones who are playing beyond themselves, whereas City are playing at their good level. So it's inevitable that that was going to drop at some point. But they still remain an absolute massive threat. I don't know how they're going to line up with so many injuries. Um, but they've, you know, they've still got Yotta, they've still got Salah, they've still got Thiago, they've still got Nunes. There's a lot of quality there, Robertson as well, of course. And 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 I say that. The Anfield crowd will give them confidence. The winning or the record of not losing to City there will give them a lot of confidence. Recent um, performances. And I say, I think they can really go into that match not gung-ho or anything like that. Not, pardon me, not throwing everything to the wall, but certainly with a sense of it's City who have got more on the line, I think, even at this early stage. Yeah, I agree. I think the pressure will be on City to, to break that record and and get get another win and if they do I think it, as I say it'd be a big step for City to to do that regardless of Liverpool's injuries I think to win at Anfield and and set that um sort of show that they are so much better than than Liverpool this season it would be like the the year that they won their 4-1 and just played them off the park and really said nah do you know what we're going to win this league um and it, it would be to put that that amount of points between them, even at this stage of the season, would be a big, uh, a big boost. And because City have so many of the sort of big six in inverted commas games after the World Cup, as I say, it's only Liverpool and United that they're playing before November. I think this is also important to win just to to get that that win over a rival. Um, because yes, I know I've I've been speaking to some Liverpool fans, and I was on a podcast. Uh, last week, and I said, now nah, City still expect Liverpool to to come and 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 come back at some point and put a win to get a run together. Because if you look at the teams in the Premier League, Liverpool are probably one of the only teams, along with City, that can put a real sort of five to ten to fifteen game winning run together. And they're still very capable of doing that this season if they get everyone back. So I was saying, yeah, I think they still expect Liverpool to come back, and, and the Liverpool people say, no, nah, not a chance. It's this season's a, a write-off, but. I do, I do think there is that belief at City that Liverpool will will come back at some point, and maybe even that Arsenal will will tail off. We we don't know how they're going to react in in a in a title race, but we do know that Liverpool can put that that run together. So 
I think it could be a big a big win if they can get it for the title at the end of the season. Um, because even even if they win on Sunday, that could potentially end Liverpool's chances. Now we've seen it in the past and we've seen City lose to Liverpool at this time in the season and after a bad start and, and that's pretty much that. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely City's biggest game of the season so far and it'll be a big test of where they actually are having not played that many top sides yet this season in the league. How do you see Guardiola kind of approaching this? Will it be bog standard, pretty normal? I think the only kind of positions seemingly up to the debate are maybe the defence, the centre-back pairing and who, if it's, I presume, a candy right-back and can sell left-back, but there's a, there is, of course, scope for Ake left-back. Um, mm-hmm. I, I presume it made more sense to have him with Cancelo on the left, considering Salah um, cutting inside and whatnot. But, you know, that and the centre-back positions are certainly up for grabs. And then, then it's the debate between Foden, Grealish and Mahrez. And, um, of course, Alvarez as well, he's in there in attack. Um, do you see it being pretty bog-standard? Or um, will, he, uh, will he pull an ace out of the sleeve or a joker? <laughs> You've given Guardiola's usual um, tactical uh, experiments. Um, I'm just trying to find the lineup from the Community Shield, which was obviously City had fitness and, and injury problems. Uh, they played, yeah, they played Cancelo at left back, and for the first sort of half an hour, he kept coming inside, and he gave Salah so much space, and that sort of resulted in later down the line, Trent Alexander-Arnold whipping the ball in for for the opening goal. So yes, I think Cancelo will play left back, but I would hope that he learns from that and and just stays wide, tries to defend. Um, I don't think Sergio Gomez has done himself any favours with his his red card, so I don't think he'll play. And yeah, Akanji did well enough um, last week. I don't think he was great attacking, but as a stopgap in defence, as someone who can just defend, and Guardiola talks up his abilities of mastering the position after just one training session. Um, The only maybe uh, question mark on that is that he played... 90 minutes in, in Copenhagen. He seems to be very fit and capable of playing these games, but maybe Ake, who got uh, most of the night off, might come in and he's been in good form. Um, and I think Ruben Diaz played an hour. Laporte was a bit, um, looked a bit tired when he came off. So it'll be interesting to see that team news, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a Kanji right back and then maybe Diaz and Ake, assuming that Laporte might not be the fittest he has been. Um, I think the most interesting part of the team news, I can see the midfield being Bernardo and De Bruyne. I know Gundogan's had some good games, but I think Bernardo always raises his game and provides that energy in midfield. I think the most interesting aspect will be where he plays Phil Foden because he's, especially on the last two visits to Anfield, has run them ragged on that left-hand side and scored a lot of goals, scored some very good goals and being City's best player but he's been at his best this season on the right. So do you risk abandoning a tactic that has worked to put him on the right where he's been so good this season and he's linked up well with De Bruyne and Haaland? And then do you play Grealish on the left who might slow it down a little bit more? That's not a bad thing, but if the left left wing has been an area that they've exploited, then Grealish might not be the one you want on that side. But then if you play Foden on the left, Grealish probably is less effective on the right. And Riyad Mahrez it just doesn't seem to be in Guardiola's good books at the moment. Although then he did get a rest. So there's, there's a lot of things to think about with, with that attack. I think I would expect Foden on the right and Grealish on the left, just out of players who've been in form. And I think he took Grealish off, didn't he, in, in Copenhagen. So maybe that hints at, at what he's thinking. Um, but no, I, th- I think because Foden has been so good at Anfield, I think he'll he'll definitely start. But it's where where he starts that uh, will be quite interesting to see. It looks like Joe Gomez is the right back in you know in um, in in place of the injured mm-hmm. Alexander Arnold. Does that change your thinking at all? Um, I didn't think he looked great in the Rangers game, but then he did pop up with quite a nice assist for. Um, can't remember who it was. Was it Firmino um, or Nunes? Either way, it was. Um, he was quite good in attack, but I don't think City would worry too much. Maybe, yeah, maybe the fact that the sort of second choice right back would 
increase the the chances of putting Joe go uh, putting Jack Grealish on that side and letting uh, Foden have a run at maybe Simicass or or Robertson if he's fit enough. So um, and the the beauty of this City side is that they they can all rotate. You could even put Bernardo on the wing and and move Foden inside for a little bit, where he's he's got some some good link up with with De Bruyne in, at times this season, or or move Grealish central at, at times behind behind Haaland, or he could even play Alvarez there, who's he's not done a bad job when he's he's played sort of that sort of number ten role, if you like, just just behind Haaland. So there's a lot of options, and uh, I, I think City would fancy their chances against the uh, the Liverpool back line, especially with players like Matip and Alexander Arnold out. And finally, can I get a prediction off you? I think I'm going to go oh, no. on the fence, and I think I'm going to go 2-2 again. It just seems like the perfect Liverpool City scoreline. Yeah, I was thinking 2-2. It was twice last season, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Both games in the Liga. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 City. I think I've been talking Liverpool up, but I do think with Erling Haaland, and I think City just are better than Liverpool this season. So I'll say 2-1 City, but... I, if it ended up, you know, two on Liverpool or two two, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Absolutely. Well, we'll certainly can't wait to watch that match, and of course, we'll have all the coverage of it over on the ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk. Now, I've got to try and get through this in- outro <laughs> without nearly choking to death or coughing. So we'll give it a go. Uh, thank you all, everyone, very much for listening once again. We'll be back next week too. Um, dissect Liverpool game hopefully a thriller no doubt again with any luck and then look forward of course to City's trip to Borussia Dortmund which hopefully will be a bit more livelier than mm-hmm. the home match um, was until the 70th minute mark or there or thereabouts of course you can get us all on Twitter at Man City MEN and our Facebook page is uh, Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City you can get all Joe uh, Joe's tweets at uh, at underscore Joe Bray. And you can get mine at Dan Murphy and the end. So once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next week, ta-ra.